I'm Ruth Sturkey and welcome to Money Expresso, no froth conversations exploring money and life. Money is a story, an energy, a source of happiness and well-being, as well as being a source of fear and anxiety. Many of us struggle to see that money is just a means to an end and that the decisions we make and the habits we build around money can change our life and the lives of others. Why are so many of us inhibited when it comes to talking about money? That's what I'd like to explore. Listeners, my guests from all walks of life share their stories and how money has impacted their journey. My hope is these shared experiences will help you think differently about money and ultimately make better money and life decisions. Hello and welcome to episode 21 of Money Expresso. And I think spring is in the air. And the reason I feel so positive about that is I've got my first bunch of daffodils this spring. And what a joy they are. I absolutely love the yellowness of daffodils as they come into bloom. It cheers me up no end. Now, in today's episode, I have the absolute pleasure of chatting to a beautiful soul who's a legend in financial planning circles. That's George Kinder. George shares his journey to becoming an international keynote speaker, becoming known as the father of life planning and his vision of a golden civilization. Now, early in George's career, he recognized that his clients were not that dissimilar to him and had unfulfilled dreams and longings. And he wanted to do something about it. So he crafted his famous three questions designed to inspire and deliver people into the life that they were meant to live. He then travelled the world to educate and teach other financial planners how to do the same. George has written seven books, including three on money and two on poetry and photography. And if you're not familiar with George's work, be prepared to put your preconceptions of what financial advice is about to one side and learn how it can and should be done. And for those of you who are maybe familiar with George's three questions, listen out to George's answer to the third I found it quite moving. Now, just to mention, um, George says the name David Norton quite early on in the podcast. David Norton was another legend in financial planning circles who unfortunately died uh, in about 2005. But David Norton and Paradigm Norton, who are our sponsors, uh, Paradigm Norton represents the merger of David's firm, Norton and Partners, and what was Paradigm Capital Management. So David is somebody we hold very dear at Paradigm Norton. And unfortunately, I never got to meet him. And finally, for the first time ever, I've got a free gift to um, give out um, after the podcast. Listen out for George telling me about his vision of a golden civilization, because I have three copies of his signed, uh, sorry, of his book, A Golden Civilization for the first three people to leave me a review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts. Um, It really does help people find it so more people can benefit from listening. So listen out for that. But uh, without further ado, let's get cracking. George, it is generally such a treat to have you on the Money Expresso podcast. Hello and welcome. Well, you don't know what a thrill it is for me to be here, Ruth. Thank you so much for inviting me. Oh, God, it really is a pleasure. Um, whereabouts do we, we find you today, George? Well, today I'm in, and, and for the, the whole, this whole COVID period, I've been in Massachusetts. Oh, okay. Um, Littleton, Massachusetts, we have a place. It, it's lovely because we, we have a little peninsula that goes out into a lake. Uh, and it's just 
glorious, but um, you go stir crazy wherever you are if you spend two years there. Absolutely. Yeah. Do you, do you have snow at this time of year? We, we do, and, mm. but mostly it's frigid right now. <laughs> you are yeah. way below. I mean, you talk about, when you talk about below zero, it's centigrade. It's Fahrenheit below zero uh, here uh, in, in the evening. So, yeah. I can imagine. I can imagine. Um, uh, George, now it's, I think it's fair to say that you're something of a legend in the worldwide financial planning community. Um, however, a number of our listeners probably might not have heard of you before, which is, you know, scandalous, if it, you know, in the financial planning world, because everybody has. But could I just ask you to just tell me, in a nutshell, your journey to become the father of life planning, as you have quite rightly been crowned? Um, yes, Ruth, Ruth, wonderful question. The um, I think there are five or six kind of significant things that I delivered into the world of financial planning that people were stunned by, that really surprised the industry. And it all had to do with the human side of money, which is where the term life planning comes from. But I, I gave uh, possibly the first speeches on the human side of money in the financial, at the Financial Planning Association and, um, and created out of that, that created such a stir, the first few speeches that I gave, that I, I was able to create a think tank of the top certified financial planners in America um, right out of those speeches. And, uh, it, and in that think tank, I mean, there were a number of things that came out of that think tank, but there were, I would say there were at least 10 people in that think tank who became future presidents of the FPA in America. Um, also coming out of that think tank was uh, my book, The Seven Stages of Money Maturity, which in many ways is often cited as being the launch of the life planning uh, movement. Um, and that book, of course, is a philosophy and a psychology of money kind of predating all this behavioral science stuff that's come up. I mean, that's the one thing that I, I did. I just kept uh, predating things that came up uh, <laughs> years and sometimes decades later. And um, I created a workshop out of that. And then what I discovered was that people were taking that workshop and they were trying to do psychology or therapy or counseling with their clients. They really didn't get what what the financial planning was meant to deliver, which is life planning. It was meant to deliver people into their dreams of freedom. And they didn't quite get how to do it. So the next thing I did was that I, uh, on, a, on the back of an envelope, uh, crafted um, the, uh, the model that we know as Evoke, uh, which is a, the five-phase model that we use now in life planning, and crafted the four to five-day training program uh, to train people in how to actually deliver life planning to their clients. And that's, that was, um, all of these were just firsts. And the, that training program was very exciting for the industry because it was only, you know, you only had 10 or 12 people that came on it and you got life plan. You as an advisor would come in and you'd get life plan while you practiced life planning on your, on your partner. So it had this incredible experiential impact that then uh, uh, financial planners took to their offices and created their life planning firms. So that training then delivered, began the registered life planner designation. And we now have, Ruth, we have, I think, 580. I think today we got our 580th person who is a registered life planner. And those are people 
all over the world. And I think that was the other thing that kind of took the industry by surprise was that I, I realized early on, and David Norton was a key figure in this for me. I, I met David at a, uh, one of the early Financial Planning Association or ICFP events. And really we hit it off uh, incredibly well and he became a big fan. And unfortunately it was shortly before he died, but he brought me over for my first speeches and uh, workshops in England. Mm-hmm. And, but what I really was, I mean, and, and England is, uh, as you know, my, my, my favorite place to be outside of, outside of where we are now here in, in Massachusetts and Hawaii. Um, but uh, what I was really interested in doing was taking this, program worldwide. So we now have people who've studied at least a two-day training with us in 32 countries. So I think there's maybe one more thing I'd mention that also way ahead of the curve um, and why I, I got gathered this term, the father of life planning, and that is that from the very beginning of our programs 25 years ago or so, uh, I've been uh, teaching mindfulness, inner listening, as part of the training and how to be a great listener. And I think that's the essence of what we really do. Many people talk about our three questions and how we inspire people to live lives of freedom. But we also, I think the main, the secret to that is that we train people in and we, uh, we are students of how to be exceptional listeners to our clients. What, what you've said there, George, I mean, it's, you, you when you talk about life planning, um, you know, what you really do, which is, I'm going to use the word unique, which kind of sometimes is a little bit misplaced, but what, what you really do is move people beyond money. You, you enable people to really dream and plan for the life that's right for them. And then money becomes the support and the foundation, doesn't it, to, to support those dreams. Have, have I understood that correctly? Oh my God, yes, of course, Ruth. Brilliant. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> wonderful to hear you, you saying it. And, and uh, I, I couldn't have said it better myself. The, mm. It moved people beyond money. And mm. the thing that we didn't realize in the early days, and still, I mean, you know, the industry that so much of the industry still doesn't really get it, mm. is that people don't care about about, I mean, they care about money. They'd like to have more of it, basically. Yeah. Um, and they like to be able to do things with it. Mm. But when you ask people serious questions about their lives and what would be meaningful to them, their legacy questions, those kinds of things, they never come up with, gosh, I wish I had more money. Yeah. They come up with, I, I wish I'd spent more time with my kids or, or I had a better relationship with my partner or my spouse or that I uh, did uh, greater work for the community or was wildly creative and played jazz mm-hmm. at a nightclub or that mm-hmm. I had a, a spiritual life or dad dedicated more of my life to kindness or generosity. They come up with incredible things or to the environment. And that's what they really care about. And that's what we, we, we understood early on was that uh, uh, you said the words you used, I think, were move people beyond money. And it's really moving the advisor's beyond the money. And then the clients, they come in thinking it's all about money too, because that's what the newspapers say. That's what the websites say. Uh, But they, in their hearts, they know they they want to live a tremendous life, just a great life. And that's what we do. We deliver them into that. And it's a real skill, the the skill of really listening. And it's something that, um, you know, I've, I've tried to do 
throughout my career as a financial planner and indeed as a, as a podcast host. But we, we're all in danger if we're not careful of racing ahead to what comes next, aren't we? Rather than really just sitting with the conversation and listening intently to what uh, what the person we're speaking to is actually saying. And um, that's something I'm trying really hard to do today, George. Oh, you're, <laughs> you're very humble here, Ruth, but, uh, but I love it. And, and thank you for saying that. And, the, and racing ahead, that's exactly what we do. And, and, uh, and what we don't realize, we think that racing ahead is, um, is keeping engaged. Mm. And we think that it uh, gets the client, we're going to be as excited as the client, we're, we're going to be, they're going to see how brilliant we are, whatever it is, um, where they're going to see that we get them. But the, the truth is that how they, how they get that we get them mm-hmm. is that we give them space to reveal and discover and talk about who they really are, who they, who people, talk in ways that they've never talked to another person. Mm. Sometimes they've never even been able to share it with their spouse. And when we, when we do that at the end of the meeting, one of the funny things that would happen for me, Ruth, at the end of many meetings, people would say, you know, that was the best conversation I've ever had. Mm. And And I would, I would, smile and I'd be thinking behind myself, the old clever part of me would be going, we didn't have a conversation. <laughs> we just listened. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And that's really that's the secret. That's what makes it special for the clients. And I think one of the things you you teach as well, George, is not only to enable people to dream and fathom out the life that's real for them, but it it's actually helping with the actions that follow. Yeah. Which is yeah. so important, isn't it? Otherwise, you've just had a good conversation. Bye. <laughs> That's right. That's right. No, it's, a, it's embedded. I mean, I was a certified financial planner. Uh, my specialty was portfolio management, portfolio construction, did a lot of the stuff that you guys do. Mm-hmm. Um, I was, you know, one of the first people into the, uh, the extraordinary firms that I know many of you uh, use, uh, many mm-hmm. financial planners, great financial planners use. And so it was my specialty. Um, uh, and, and it's interesting, not, not only do we deliver them into that using the architectures of great portfolio construction and great financial planning, but also the, the beginning, you know, that first meeting where you really are listening, there's something that we don't talk a lot about, we don't talk enough about in the industry, and that is how little we as an industry are trusted. Mm. And we know that as financial planners, we're trusted a lot more, Mm. uh, particularly if our fees are clear and clean and we're less tied to products and that kind of thing. Mm. But, um, and we have professional designations in financial planning, Mm. but still there is this taint that we have. And so breaking through that taint and that, which is affiliated with the notion that money is everything, that money is what it's all about. And, and, and I think w- what happens is the machines around us, the consumerism that we all live within, just constantly feeds that sense of lack, which ultimately draws out behaviours in individuals and, and indeed companies that are, are less than helpful to leading a kind of life of meaning and happiness. 
Uh, absolutely, uh, absolutely, and it—that's uh, the the beauty of it. this. Is what you know your 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 audience of financial advisors. The beauty of the profession that we are all in is that we have because we have the ability to create that architecture uh, mm. of, of finance. Um, uh, we can design it and create it so that the client understands that it's really there to deliver them into the, their inspired life, into the mm. life or their, the life that touches them the most, the life that means the most to them. And if we can create that link for the client, we're, we're doing an incredible service and um, and the heck with the, the media out there, yeah. and consumerism, uh, something's changing in the world that's very, very good. So, George, money's obviously, money and leading the best life that an individual can is obviously super important to you. It makes me wonder about how you got to that. So I'm curious to know, what was money like for you as you were growing up? Yeah, um, well, well, well. Very interesting. The the um, I mean, you wouldn't know it from <laughs> from what I do, but I, I was I was a very clever young young man and a very clever boy. I I never met a board game that I couldn't win, <laughs> and with great regularity, or a card game. Um, I was very quick. I was very quick in math, off the charts in in mathematics, uh, or maths as you call them. Mm. And, <laughs> yes. And, uh, <laughs> In, in Great Britain, um, the um, so I was very clever, and uh, uh, and so money I, I, I learned early on about you know kind of saving and investing and kind of making making things uh, uh, making more money for myself. How do I make more money for myself when I first had my uh, paper route, which was what we. <laughs> We, 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 as a family, we would, uh, the boys would come and they'd take on this paper route. And um, uh, what I realized was my brother, who was a wonderful, wonderful human being and, one of my, and is one of my best friends, uh, was a, became a leader in the, um, what's it called now? The, is it called SRI? No, the um, ESG movement. But he was, he was one of the originators. It was called Ethical Investing way back then. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Peter. ESG. ESG yeah, impact. He, was, yeah. he won all the prizes. He's just an amazing uh, human being, wonderful uh, uh, man. And so he had the paper out before me. Mm -hmm. But because he had this huge heart and he, he really cared about the people that he delivered to, he had trouble collecting the fee. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So, so he actually ran the business at a loss. And so when I was told by my father, maybe you should help Peter out, um, we made a deal. And that was that Peter would deliver the paper every day, 30 days a month. And at the end of the month, I would go around and for three days, I would collect. <laughs> so, I mean, that was like a no brainer, Ruth. It was like, oh, wow, in three days. And then we'd split the funds. And I went in three days, I can make as much as he makes in 30 days. Oh. Gosh, I'm in. <laughs> so I had a cleverness uh, yeah. about it, but I had to learn. I had to learn in my twenties uh, and thirties that cleverness was really not a virtue. It was a, it's a great great skill to have at times, but it's not a virtue. Mm. And um, and so the other side of money for me was that um, my family valued um, education, and they valued books. Or we had uh, 
a huge kind of library of books. It was a, I, I, I didn't grow up wealthy, but we weren't poor. Mm-hmm. We had books galore. And, uh, and so I think it was that, and, and my mother had, um, was very involved in, in the church there. So there was a spiritual quality and I lived in nature. So all of those things that I guess money bought those things, didn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, it did. But equally, there is something around for me, you know, the very act of reading and educating yourself and being in nature and, and um, being either religious or spiritual. I'm not sure which. There is something more than money, isn't there, to all of those things that you were experience um, as a as this super bright young thing. Exactly. I think and, and those other things, I I think even then I valued more. The cleverness was fun because it was fun winning was kind of a fun thing. But the other things, being in nature and and uh, reading a, a, a great novel, uh, I, those were really quite extraordinary experiences. Uh, winning a game was kind of a one-time thing. It was uh, very thin in its layer of satisfaction. Yeah. And so, so as I understand it, George, after you, uh, you left Harvard and you were um, a CPA, uh, we, I think we call it a, a, an accountant uh, in, the, in the UK, what, what, what caused you to think, okay, right, I can do this figures bit. This, it sounds like that came very easy to you in many respects, but what caused you to marry the meaning to money? What, why did that transition take place for you? Well, I think you're, you're, uh, you're pulling together the strands uh, that really made it happen. And, and that is that I had discovered in uh, late in high school and in, and in college that my real passion in life was to, um, was to be a, a creative artist, was to be wildly creative, was to live in nature and to have a profound uh, spiritual life. So, so those were my passions. Um, and, but my skills at Harvard, I minored in economics, I majored in English literature, uh, but I minored in economics. My, uh, my, I, back in those days, they had this saying, as you know, that do what you love and the money will follow. But I, I never found anyone who would pay me a dime for my... <laughs> meditations or my poems. Mm. So, I, uh, so I went where uh, the money was and created a business um, from that with the skills that I had. And then I began to meet, met, meet people coming into my tax practice. And I began to realize that they also had kind of secret longings. They had things that they wished they'd been able to do, but were not because of the, because money, they didn't have the money to pay for it. And so I began to realize that my, my longing and my passion was not that different from many other people mm. and that people in a way cut off, cut themselves off from their dreams. So I um, began to use the financial planning skills that I had to create for myself uh, my own dream of freedom and then to figure out how to deliver it. And part of that was coming up with the three questions and, and trying to identify what are the questions that inspire people to do things differently, to really hone closer to who they are and who they're meant to be. 
than to who society tells them they have to be or who they think they have to be because of their their kids or their or their family. Mm, and there's a lot of expectation on people, isn't there, to live a life that other people imagine is right for them, whether that's from your parents or society or school or whatever it may be. And we, we've made reference a couple of times, George, to the three questions. And um, I know there will be some of our listeners who, who aren't uh, in the financial world, but will be intrigued now to think, what are they talking about? Could I just ask you to just talk us through those three questions, which I'm, I'm sure are so incredibly familiar to you? Yes, of course, uh, Ruth. And, and, uh, and they're set up as three questions to be asked um, it, uh, episodically, one right after another, and to spend five or 10 minutes on each. Uh, uh, the, the first question is just simply to imagine that you have all the money that you need for the rest of your life. Um, maybe you're not as, as rich as J.K. Rowling or, or the Queen of England, but, you're, but you've got all that you need. Uh, and what would you do with your life? How would you live your life? So that's the, 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 the first question. So it's kind of, you know, winning the lottery kind of yeah, thing. It's and a fun question, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. And there you go. And you scribble it all down. And, and uh, you have to go there first because the second two questions are much deeper. And your client's if they think of you superficially as just a financial advisor as a, or as a salesperson, won't, won't let you go there. Mm-hmm. So the, the second question is to a scenario where you're going off to see your, your doctor and, and uh, he or she has conducted a, a series of tests, but they're, everybody's expecting you, you to be perfectly fine. And so you go in and they shock you with the knowledge that you, um, have a, a rare ailment and that you'll be perfectly fine for the next five to 10 years, but that sometime after the fifth year and before the 10th year, you're just going to keel over. You're going to pass out. You're going to die. Mm. You're gone. And so the question there is if you knew that and you knew you only had five to 10 years left to live, what would shift for you? What would, what would you do differently? How would you live your life? And there, of course, the, the, the theme is not as much about money, about spending money. It's more about time and what is really important in our life in terms of uh, the time we have left. And then the third question goes, goes deeper still. It starts off with the same scenario that you're going to the doctor and this time the doctor really shocks you and says that we've, we've blown it. Uh, they just finished some tests. Uh, we, uh, the tests reveal that you have a rare ailment and you've had it for some time and it has come to term uh, and you only have 24 hours left to live. So the, the question is not what you would do at the time. The question is reflecting on your life and what you'd anticipated doing uh, for the rest of your life, with, with your life, what did you miss? Who did you not get to be? What did you not get to do? And as you reflect on that question, it turns out that that's the question that drives most people's life of meaning. Uh, most people's, what we call them, life plan is driven largely by the third question. Mm-hmm. How do we deliver people into that? And sometimes there are things where they think they could never 
they they couldn't do. Like maybe I remember one person who, um, uh, you know, I, I had had in that third question that he didn't get to spend time with his daughter. And I said, well, gosh, you know, let's do it. Let's go. Let's make that time real. Let's make it happen. And, and the fellow uh, had tears in his eyes and he said, you don't understand George. Um, she passed away 13 years ago. Mm. Yeah. So here was a, I mean, it's rare that we get those kind of impossible situations, but here was a situation where we bring up our other skills, our listening skills, our empathy skills, where we're just there with, I was just there with him and I empathized mm. and let him move through his tears. And then, you know, I mean, the stunning thing to me behind the scenes in my brain was going, gosh, this guy's been living with that level, that cloud over his future and his present moment for the last 13 years. He's not been able to live a life of freedom, a life of real meaning, because that cloud is kept uh, disrupting that, disturbing that. So I was determined to uh, bring him some relief from that. Uh, and as the tears um, left, I asked him, I just said, how could you, how could you resolve this? How could you move into these other pieces in your life that you revealed in question number two and question number one? How could you do that? And within uh, a couple of weeks, he'd written a long letter to his daughter. Mm -hmm. He'd formed a, 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 a foundation, uh, something where he was able to give. His, his daughter loved uh, creatures, loved animals. And he formed something where he could be giving to those creatures uh, uh, the excess of his profits for the rest of his life. And, um, and uh, you know, suddenly he was free of that, of that cloud and was able to, and one of the things that was in that relationship uh, that was in his life was a relationship that he had not, um, a woman that he did not marry, had not married, but he'd lived with for some time. And he'd not been able to a lot because of the situation with his daughter. So he, he married, I mean, it's just, just it became an incredible man, a uh, human being, and really uh, became uh, engaged and vital in the world around him and became a mentor for many people. So, mm -hmm. so those kinds of things, I mean, that's a rare story, but most people, it's other things, that, but, but like creativity, like um, uh, virtues, like family um, that come up uh, like community or the environment come up and mm. we deliver them into those things. That's what a, a great life planner will do. Mm. And, and that is such a powerful thing to be able to deliver or open up to somebody. It's almost like you're, I was going to say that you're giving them permission, but maybe they just allow themselves, which, which kind of makes me wonder what does hold people back from living their best lives? Well, I, I think you, you've nailed it again, Ruth. And, and uh, uh, I think giving permission is huge. Mm. Uh, and, and the reason people need permission is what we've uh, alluded to several times in this interview already, which is the media uh, consumerism that is out there that is part of the media, uh, a society that is dominated by large profit-seeking institutions. Um, and... Uh, and then all of the kind of the messages that come down to us from our own institutions, our families, mm. uh, our uh, uh, communities in various ways. 
Mm. So those things really, really hold us back. And, uh, and we form in, in my first books, uh, uh, the, uh, the um, seven stages of money maturity, I talk about uh, how we form structures of suffering uh, mm. by linking thought patterns with difficult feelings. So we get hooked by guilt or shame or fear or anxiety. And then we keep revisiting that whenever we have the thought of freedom, we go, oh, no, I can't, <laughs> you know, I've got to, I've got to do these other things. So having a great mentor, and that's what a great, that's what a financial planner, really the financial planning field is destined mm-hmm. to, be, to be the field that delivers, not, not counseling, not, um, not therapy, not uh, uh, religion, mm-hmm. uh, religious figures, but financial planners are destined to be the profession that really delivers people into the lives they're meant to live. Because we, we know how to create the architecture that finishes the job. All we need to do is learn how to listen and how to be inspired by what the client is, is sharing with us and be determined to be on the client side. And in America, we call it being a fiduciary, how to be really profoundly a fiduciary for the client's well-being. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And I think we are uniquely positioned to to help people and 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 I think if we can turn on uh, a light for somebody to realize that it isn't money that's going to deliver happiness of itself, that makes such a significant difference. And I know that's a it can sound like a bit of a glib thing to say if people are struggling for money or anticipate or see or buy into the stories that were shown on Instagram that, you know, if you are sunning yourself on a, a Caribbean, Caribbean island, that everything's going to be okay. But it's, it's a lonely life if money is your only, um, your only servant, really, I think. And uh, it's, um, it's super important, the job that we can do, I think, to try to help people see that. Um, but George, I came across your book a couple of years ago called The Golden Civilization. And you speak about imagining a, a future world, um, maybe a few generations out, and about how we as a world, I guess, or communities um, on a smaller level, or indeed families, how we might get there. Could you just tell us a little bit about the golden civilization and the, the movement you were encouraging be created with that? Yeah, Ruth. Oh, thank you so much for asking uh, about it, and I'm I'm touched that you found the book and and uh, and uh, and looked at it or read it. The um, I I was profoundly disturbed by the uh, the financial crisis, mm-hmm. uh, and of course this was long before. Now we've got political crises like crazy yeah. uh, in the in the Western world and and all over the world. But I was profoundly what started to get me. Uh, you know, I'm. I, 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 Ruth, I'm 73 years old. And so, and, and here I am still wildly active and engaged mm-hmm. and of course, wanting to create uh, leaders in the life planning movement uh, all over the world so that uh, as I age further, uh, we have real leadership in it. But I, we, way back, uh, I mean, it's back in the financial crisis. So I was, you know, around 60 or so. And I was thinking, well, what am I going to do for my next act? Mm-hmm. And, then the financial crisis occurred. And I thought, I've spent 
a lifetime in the financial industry trying to make it better, mm. trying to make it ethical, trying to uh, help people live lives in, of integrity in the industry. And look what's happened. And look at all these people who lost their homes, uh, lost their resources, the Great Recession that came. And I, so I became uh, concerned and upset. And, uh, and then, of course, after that, we've seen now the crisis in democracy and all of that yeah. uh, arise. And what, um, but what I realized was that the, the model for life planning was a perfect model for transforming civilization into what it's meant to be. You take those three questions and instead of having those three questions, and I, I traveled the world just before COVID came out. I mean, I'd been to, I went uh, all, all across Europe. I went through um, uh, many parts of Asia. I was in Mumbai, I was in Singapore, I was in Hong Kong, I was in Tokyo. And I uh, leading what I called golden civilization conversations. And what they were was, uh, a gathering of people where together we imagined what, what would the world look like if, if we really had, if we'd solved all the problems and the world really was a golden civilization, what would it look like? And with the notion that in life planning, that's what we do. We create this dream of freedom that is really inspiring for someone and I've never seen anybody, Ruth, turn it down mm. because it's so inspiring to see, oh, yes, and this person believes in me. So mm. I thought, gosh, let's do it for civilization. And what was stunning was regardless of where we took the, uh, this exercise, everybody came up with the same vision of civilization. It, it was a civilization that had kindness, that had respect, that had vitality, that had um, uh, a fr freedom all through it, that had democracy all through it, um, that had much greater levels of equality, not nearly the inequalities that we see uh, today, that had truth in media, that respected science. All of these things were there everywhere. And that was my intuition. And the thought was, what we need to do is to form this notion so clearly in groups all across the world, and then bring those groups together to act and basically say, you know, it's time that we made this happen. And I, I think it, it is time. And it's just a question of, of getting that vision really clear. You know, we needed the vision that it's the man on the moon kind of vision. We needed the vision of putting a man on the moon to actually do it. Hmm. So that's, that's my notion of a golden civilization in the book. Um, so the book is really dedicated to democracy. It has a lot about the financial services industry and its role in transforming the world into a, um, into a golden civilization. I mean, think about it, even, even I mean, in America, um, so many corporations have funded political figures. So instead of democracy, you really are an oligarchy. And mm -hmm. So many corporations, obviously, we know have polluted the planet. Well, and banks that are, are financial, you know, a great financial product company. What if they'd simply not lent to those, lended money to those, to those organizations? Uh, wouldn't that have changed things? Well, we're far, far away from having that kind of leverage where that could happen. Mm -hmm. But if we can form a vision together and share it and say, yes, let, let's make a difference, then my sense is that we could actually make that world happen and not fall into the dystopian world that we're fearful 
uh, we're on the verge of. You, you paint such a beautiful picture, George. And I, you know, I like you. I, I can't imagine anybody that w- wouldn't want that. And how have we got ourselves into such a such a mess? But um, but but thank you very much for for explaining that. And um, you know, I I have a lot of faith in our in our next generations to to hopefully move move us in a more productive productive path. Mm-hmm. Now. I'm conscious of your time, George, and I've got just a couple more questions I'd like to ask you. The sure. first one, and I hope you don't mind me asking this, but I'm just wondering, with your three questions, is there anything that you still want to get to be? Oh, <laughs> oh my. Uh, well, um, Ruth, I... Uh, COVID, you know, I, I mentioned the financial uh, crisis, and then, of course, mm-hmm. the crisis in democracy has uh, disturbed me, as well as the one on the planet. But COVID hit, uh, and I, I, uh, I, I, I've let a few people know and uh, this, and that is that I got a pneumonia right at the beginning of COVID. Mm-hmm. And I don't know whether it was COVID or not. Because when COVID emerged, I was uh, too fearful to go in to get tested for antibodies. I didn't want to go near. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I really locked down because I got something from that pneumonia that they call either post-viral fatigue or long COVID. Uh-huh. Yeah. So I have, for the last two years, even though you you hear my energy and I, mm-hmm. I have enough energy for hours a day. I have a wonderful life, but there's much of the day I spend with great fatigue and I spend it prone. And um, uh, and so what it brought up for me, it brought up the third question a lot for me. And I realized I want to make sure that if if I get hit by COVID again, mm. I'm, not, I'm not going down mm. without making sure that the world has whatever I've got in me that is the best I can offer. Mm-hmm. And so I um, have dedicated these last two years to getting out a series of books um, that I have uh, had have been de- de- um, composing for the last 30 years. They're books of photography and poetry. They're based in the environment that I live in, this little peninsula that goes out into a lake. So the photography is just gorgeous. And the, I, if I do say so myself, mm-hmm. and the, the poetry is a poetry of living in nature and of using nature as a way to become more awake, more alert, more present. So it's certainly a book of environmentalism in a way, but even more a book of mindfulness and of, um, of uh, becoming more connected with the present moment. Mm-hmm. And I now am giving that book as a free gift, I've done the first of five and the other four will be out within a year or two. Uh, so they're coming rapidly out. And it's a book that goes week by week and day by day through the whole year and gives you a picture of this pond going through winter and spring and summer and fall. And, um, uh, and it, I'm delivering, I'm giving it free. Oh, well, to- that sounds amazing. To whoever wants it, it, I'm giving it digitally free. So it arrives on your inbox. You can have it big on your computer or you can have it small in your, on your iPhone and expand mm-hmm. it with your 
your fingertips. And, uh, and you just have to go to georgekinder.com to get the email address to, uh, to get that, to let, get that going. So, so I, I'm thrilled to be doing that. Mm-hmm. I have two daughters who are 17 years old. Um, I'm loving my time with them, although they're definitely teenagers. I'm not sure they're loving their time with me. <laughs> Loving my time with them. And but in terms of life planning, Ruth, I I want to see this, this um, I want to see us in the financial services world uh, make this make this golden civilization happen, client by client, mm-hmm. and country by country, culture by culture. So I am at this point, what we're working on is how to get the message more to the consumers, so the consumer knows what happen, What uh, life planning is, and how to build leadership within the life planning community. So I've probably spoken too much, but those are... Those yeah. are no, I asked, and that's a, it's a brilliant answer, and that your, your books um, are definitely ones that I'll, I'll be signing up for, and I'll make sure we, we put your email address in the notes to, the, to this episode. So thank you for that. Oh, yeah, thank you. Now, George, I'm just going to um, just slightly change the mood and just ask you what may or may not be a slightly flippant question, but it's one of my favourite silly little questions. So here we go. What, what's been your best buy that's been under £30 in the last year or so? And what was it? Uh, well, you know, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to slide away from this. Just a little bit. <laughs> because, because I think the... Um, uh, but I might come back to it. I, I, but I do think that, that this... This that I'm giving I'm giving away this book of photography and poetry that would cost certainly I don't know fifty or sixty pounds maybe more uh, I feel feel is really a, quite a wonderful uh, thing for people to to know and I I think the um, you know when 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 I'm asked that I go to what do we do with our moments there's a there's a uh, a reflection that I've begun to do and begun to put into a book and I've got a rough draft of this book. It's another book um, that I'll be coming out with maybe by the end of the year called The Three Domains of Freedom. And in it, I, I, I say that there are three domains to freedom in our lives. And one of them is the present moment. Well, there's, there's subtitles to this book. That, uh, so the, the sub, first subtitle is Each Moment is Yours. And the second subtitle is Your Life is Yours. And that's the life planning mm-hmm. uh, subtitle. And the third subtitle is Civilization is Yours. And that's meant to inspire people to create the golden civilization. But this each moment is yours is something incredible. We don't, you know, we don't ever get a moment back. Mm. Yeah. Each, each moment is ours. And each moment when we live it to the full, when we live it with the fullness of our heart or our, our aspiration, our enthusiasm or levels of meaning for ourselves. Wow. It's so rich and it's so huge and it's so beautiful and it's completely free. Yeah, I love that. I I very much like how you took that away from my um my my the, my my price tag, George. And thank you. I love that. Each moment is yours. And gosh, how often we forget that. Yeah. Now, now, finally, George. I'm you know I don't even know whether I need to ask this question, but I normally just say to my guests, if you had to leave our listeners with one piece of money wisdom, what what would that be? Yeah, you know, we've spent we've spent uh, forty minutes. Yes, yeah, we have. <laughs> I mean, you know, uh, I think all, uh, I think mostly it's that it's not about the money; it's really about your life, yeah. and uh, and um, make it 
oh, the best, absolutely the best that you could possibly imagine. Yeah, yeah. That's perfect, George. Your answer could well have been um, referred to above or something, actually. But no, thank you very much. That's been a such a gorgeous conversation. And um, I, I feel lifted up just by just by talking to you. And I, I share your dream of what this this future might look like. And thank you so much from um, all of us in the financial planning community for all the hard work and education that you do on our behalf because it, it absolutely makes sure that our clients end up with better outcomes so thank you very much for that George and um, thank you very much for your for your time today it really has been a pleasure chatting to you wonderful Ruth thank you so much thank you thanks George and hopefully see you in, in London next year Gosh, I really cannot help thinking what a different world we would live in if Georgie's views on anything approaching a golden civilization came to pass. And don't forget, I have three signed copies of Georgie's Golden Civilization book available to the first three people who leave me a review on Apple uh, iTunes, Apple Podcasts following this episode. Also, don't forget to check out Georgie's gorgeous new book, um, called Reflections on Spectacle Pond. You can subscribe to that by going to georgekinder.com. Now, just a quick word before I let you go to tell you of my next guest, a wonderful young guy called Davy Lewis. Davy is a professional rugby player who has turned into a financial planner and he shares some wonderful memories of his time um, both as a schoolboy rugby player, as a professional rugby player playing at the highest level and how that has helped him transition into what I'm calling civilian life. In the meantime, stay well and remember, as George says, every moment is yours. Thank you. So that's it for today. I hope you enjoyed the conversation as much as I did. I'd really appreciate it if you could take a couple of minutes of your time to go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast to subscribe, rate, and give a five-star review for Money Expresso. Apparently, this helps more people to find the podcast so we can help more people think differently about their money and their life. If you've got any thoughts, comments, or questions on any of the matters discussed, or life and money generally, I'd love to hear from you. You can contact me on Twitter or LinkedIn at Ruth Sturkey. Of course, the conversations with my guests are not intended as advice. My intention is to merely share our guests' money and life experiences to entertain, educate and inform you. Any form of investing involves risk and the value of your investments may go down as well as up. So please do speak with a financial planner before making any investments to make sure they're the right ones for you. Thank you. Thank you.